Hey, good morning, everyone. Just as a reminder, we have set July 12th as our reopening Sunday, when we could all begin to meet again in person following the stage two lifting of the restrictions by government and health officials. We miss you all and look forward to our gathering together again as a church family. A big thank you to Dan Woodard for sharing his story last Sunday. Today, we continue with our study from the book of Daniel that we have been calling Flourishing, or if you'd like, Thriving in a Hostile Culture. The book of Daniel illustrates for us how to pay allegiance to God and seek to honor him as a people of character and conviction in a world that is hostile to our faith. So far in our study, we have gleaned a few lessons from the faith of Daniel with his friends Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, who made a commitment not to defile themselves with the delicacies from the king's table in Daniel chapter 1. We also gleaned from a message called When the Bottom Falls Out from Daniel chapter 2, where under the threat of death for all the wise men in Babylon, Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, prophesying about the rise and fall of four global empires and foretelling the establishment of the kingdom of Christ. We also learned from the subject, Rooting for the Underdog, from Daniel chapter 3, where we saw the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in action. They refused to worship an idol image that Nebuchadnezzar had built. We saw how they were thrown into a burning fairy furnace as a result, and how God protected them from being consumed. Then we moved on to chapter 4, where we explored the subject, the desolation of pride, focusing on Nebuchadnezzar's second dream and its fulfillment, which confirmed to us that pride comes before the fall and that the Most High God rules among the kingdoms of men, which brings us to Daniel chapter 5. In every language, there is a collection of wise sayings. They offer advice about how to live and also convey some underlying ideas, principles, convictions, and values of a given culture or society. These sayings are called idioms or proverbs if they are longer. We use idioms every day and sometimes without even realizing that what we are saying is illogical and meaningless without the implied and widely accepted meaning behind it. For example, let's see if you can see the idioms in the following sentences. First, she was a bit under the weather but still decided to go to work Anyway, the phrase under the weather is an idiom, meaning she was feeling slightly unwell. How about this one? 
I'm just going to grab a bite first, and then I will come over to your place. The phrase, grab a bite, is an idiom, meaning getting something to eat. Some idioms are specific to a local culture. For example, in Canada, we say double-double, which means coffee with double cream and double sugar. If you go to Africa and say, I want a double-double, you might get a few bewildered looks because it's not an idiom used out there. Today, we will look at two idioms used in Daniel chapter 5 that we still use today. I'm sure you have heard these sayings before. Your days are numbered and the writing is on the wall. Both of these phrases imply some type of approaching doom or misfortune, something threatening or destructive that can't be stopped because it is inevitable. Both phrases come from the story in our text, Daniel chapter 5, where strange writings appeared on a wall during a party hosted by King Belshazzar, predicting his death and the end of his kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, could you please turn with me to Daniel chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 to 31. But because it's a lengthy passage of scripture, we are going to skip a few verses. So in the New International Version, the Bible says in verse 1, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold cups and they drank wine from them, while praising the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned, turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Let's skip to verse 13. 
the writing on a wall explained. So Daniel was finally brought before the king, and the king said to him, Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Verse 18. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him. All the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to, to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the cups from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote this inscription. This is the inscription that was written in Aramaic. Mane Mane Teko Perez. Here is what these words mean. Many God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Teko, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Verse 29, then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple and a gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. May you now bless our time in your word and unlock the scriptures for our understanding with conviction. May we be edified, rebuked, and corrected so that we may be thoroughly equipped for works of service and righteous living 
on this journey of faith to your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. The message that I'm going to share this morning is entitled Divine Graffiti. Divine Graffiti. Graffiti is a form of visual communication made on public walls or other surfaces and have been used in history to communicate various ideas from political dissent to love messages to purely artistic endeavors. Graffiti ranges from simple written words to elaborate war paintings and has existed since ancient times, with examples dating back to ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, and the Roman Empire. It's now 539 BC. Nebuchadnezzar had already died 20 to 30 years prior in 562 BC after a 43-year reign. The head of gold will soon be replaced with the chest and arms of silver. He was succeeded by his son, Ivo Merodach, who, according to 2 Kings 25, verse 27, released Joachim, king of Judah, from prison and gave him a seat of honor in Babylon. After two years, Merodach was assassinated by Neri Jelisa, his brother-in-law who in turn died four years later in 556 BC, leaving the throne to his infant son, Labash Madak, who was soon deposed by a priestly revolution. So, Nabonidas, a former priest under Nebuchadnezzar, was made king in 556 BC. He was more interested in scholarly and religious pursuits, so he appointed his son Belshazzar as co-ruler of Babylon in 550 BC and as second in command, which explains why he offered Daniel only the third position in the kingdom. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, King Belshazzar, gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And the king and his entourage drank themselves drunk on wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. So the king summoned the wise men in Babylon, but they could not interpret the graffiti on a wall written by a mysterious hand. So the king finally called Daniel in 
And here is what he had to say in a nutshell. I knew Nebuchadnezzar, and you are no Nebuchadnezzar. He was a much greater king, and God took him down because of his pride. He is going to do the same to you. Then Daniel gave his interpretation of the inscription, which brings us to the graffiti and its meaning. The mysterious graffiti on the wall was Mene Mene Teko Yufasin. Mene meaning God has numbered your kingdom and your time is up. The repetition is only for emphasis. Teko meaning you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. In other words, you have not measured up to God's standard of righteousness. You fasten, plural of peres, meaning your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. This was a bold, scathing pronouncement of doom. But one would wonder, was Belshazzar truly oblivious? Or did, they, or did he arrogantly harden his heart? We really don't know, but it's clear he didn't repent. Which brings us to the fulfillment of the graffiti on a wall. Verse 30 to 31 of our text says, That very night, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, was slain, and Darius the Mede, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. As one pastor puts it, too bad for Belshazzar. He is throwing a party and getting drunk a few moments before disaster strikes. Like the Titanic, he was about to hit an iceberg that would sink his ship in a few hours, he will be dead, but he doesn't know it. If you recall, Babylon was considered to be unconquerable. It had those huge double walls that could not be destroyed by normal military methods. Belshazzar probably thought they were beyond the reach of the Persians. History records that Darius and his soldiers entered Babylon by diverting the river that ran through the city, then walking in on dry riverbed. They took over the city without a fight. The rest is history. Which brings us to the application. So what do we make of this story? What's our take home? First, God detests idolatry because he protects his honor. You see, getting drunk and idolatry went hand in hand in the ancient world. When Belshazzar 
took the cups from the temple and used them for idol worship during one of these kind of parties. He showed contempt and defied God. And he faced dire consequences because he took sacred objects and used them for sensual, unholy purposes. But the question is, what do we learn from this? When we desecrate what God has set apart for holy purposes, when we share his glory with another, when we give the kind of allegiance that should be given to God alone, to idols, we face dire consequences. God wants us to honor him, obey him, and to put him first in our lives. Since your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you are God's vessel, God's instrument. But the question is, are you desecrating God's vessel with worldliness? Are you involved with immorality? Are you corrupting God's vessel with evil? If so, your days are numbered because the writing is on the wall for evil doers, except for grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies as instruments of righteousness. Which brings us to our second take home. Secular wisdom is absolutely inadequate for life and godliness. Secular wisdom is absolutely inadequate for life and godliness. Three times in the first five chapters of Daniel, the wisest men in the land were summoned by the king to tell him the truth which had been divinely revealed. Each time the wise men were forced to acknowledge their inability to do so. Since secular worldly wisdom can never provide the answers for the all-important spiritual and eternal issues of life. It's sad that some Christians today are turning to secular wisdom for truth, guidance, and direction when they should be seeking divine revelation. But the question is, why are so many Christians today seeking secular wisdom for direction in life? Are the scriptures not sufficient? Is the cross of Christ not the remedy for sin anymore? Since each time we got back to reading and obeying the Bible and waiting on the Lord for guidance and direction 
in life. Thirdly, to avoid being victims of history, we need to learn from it. To avoid being victims of history, we need to learn from it. Stephen Hawking once said, We spend a great deal of time studying history, which, let's face it, is mostly the history of stupidity. George Santayana put some icing on the cake when he said, Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it and suffer consequences, just like King Belshazzar. Which begs the question, do we really think we can continue to ignore and dishonor God without some kind of consequence? Belshazzar scorned the lessons of history and refused to repent. He should have built on the lessons learned by Nebuchadnezzar, but he chose to ignore history. Similarly, there is a deceptive arrogance today in our culture. We think we are smarter than the previous generations. We have tossed godly values out the window and redefined truth, morality, and sin. We disdain God's word as irrelevant to us. In our foolishness, we are merely repeating the damaging mistakes of the past instead of learning from them. Beloved, the accounts in the Bible are not just great stories of great lives, but they are examples and illustrations of written warnings for us. You find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. We can choose to ignore them and suffer the consequences, or we can learn from the mistakes of others in the past and be saved. Lastly, we are reminded here of God's amazing grace. Truth is, we are much more like Belshazzar than we would like to admit. We arrogantly resist the authority of God and rebel against him. We trust ourselves more than we trust God and his word. The message of the gospel is that we are sinful, rebellious, self-absorbed people who cannot make ourselves good no matter how hard we try. God understands our hopeless situation and has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He became man, took our sin upon himself and paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. When he rose from the dead, he proved that the debt was paid in full. He said that if we put our hope and trust in him, 
he will wipe away our sin. But here's a question for you. What are you going to do about this message that you have heard today? Will you continue to justify your sinful actions? Or will you recognize that you are powerless to save yourself from sin and in need of, of, a, of a Savior? You need to accept the grace of God so that you may be saved. I can't help but wonder, what would have happened if Belshazzar had responded differently and submitted himself to God's authority? Belshazzar's story is written, but our stories are still being written. The plot of our stories in life can take a dramatic and wonderful turn, but we must first repent and trust Jesus for our salvation. So as we come to the end of this message, we can ask ourselves the question, what would God write on the wall if he was writing about me? If God wanted to point out an area of my life where I am dishonoring him, what would that be? And the next question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to humble yourself, repent and make things right before God or with God? Or are you going to remain preoccupied with the pleasures of this world? Remember, our days are numbered and we are not assured of tomorrow. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Let's pray together. God, our eternal Father, we thank you for your word. We do pray that you may drive it to our hearts and give us the courage to obey it and apply it to our lives and allow that word to change and transform our lives, and help us to be more and more submitted to you instead of indulging ourselves in the delicacies of this wicked and perverse generation. We do pray that your word shall not return to the void, but it will accomplish the mission for which it was sent. We thank you and we honor you because we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening and God bless you.